Hey, fresh ad read today because I want you to know that my new book, Motivation for Regular People, Reframing Your Drive to Pursue Your Goals and Achieve Your Potential, is coming out on November 14th of this year. This book is the culmination of all the research I've been doing on motivation for the last six months. In this book, you'll gain a fresh perspective on how motivation actually works, and by the time you finish reading, you'll understand how to leverage your motivation to accomplish your most important goals. I'm so excited for this book to come out, and you don't have to wait until November 14th to purchase your copy. In fact, you can go on Amazon and pre-order your copy today, and you'll receive an instant download via Kindle whenever the book becomes available. You can also wait to buy the paper book on November 14th if you want to have a copy to take notes in, or if you want to bring me a copy and have me sign it for you. That's totally fine as well. I'll include a link to the book on Amazon in the show notes if you want to go ahead and pre-order, and I would be honored honored if you would help spread the word about the book to others who may also be looking for some extra motivation. As a special treat for listening to the show, I'll include a link to read the introduction right away for free on my website. You can hit pause and read it now if you want, or you can wait until you finish listening to the awesome conversation that you're about to hear. Hello and welcome to the Motivation for Regular People podcast, where you'll find all the inspiration you need to start, continue, and finish the goals that matter most to you. As you learned from the podcast introduction, Motivation for Regular People is not only a podcast, it's about to be a book as well. I'm so excited to tell you about the launch of my new book, Motivation for Regular People, Reframing Your Drive to Pursue Your Goals and Achieve Your Potential. It's coming out on November 14th. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a bonus episode of the podcast where I read the introduction out loud. You can go back and listen to that episode if you'd like to hear. That's episode number 37. You can also read the introduction via the link that I'll include in the show notes. I'm so excited for that book to come out. I hope that you will pre-order a copy, or if you want to wait and buy a paper copy later on, that's fine too. For some reason, I can't do pre-orders for paper copies. Maybe I'll figure out how to do that at one point down the road. I would also love if you would share about the book with anyone who you think might find the content helpful or valuable. I have put a lot of work into this, and I can't wait to share everything that I've learned about how motivation is often misunderstood, but also about how there is a better way to approach motivation in a way that will help us pursue and achieve our most important goals. If today is your first time to tune into the podcast, we're so glad to have you here. We release new episodes each Thursday, as well as a couple bonus episodes every month. And if you will subscribe to the show, you'll always have easy access to our new episodes when they become available. Today's guest is Carrie Ann Powell. Carrie Ann is a small business champion, strategist, and founder who geeks on how business owners can run their companies smoothly so they can thrive not just in business, but in life as well. Carrie Ann and I had a fantastic conversation about how we can use systems to decrease the need for motivation in certain situations and lean into the values and the identity that we want to pursue. I know you're going to find incredible value in hearing what she has to say, and I'm excited to dive into this conversation. Here's Carrie Ann. Carrie Ann, thanks so much for sharing some time with me today. I'm excited to talk with you. I'm really happy to be speaking with you too, Brady. Thanks for having me on. 
Of course, absolutely. So we were chatting before and we started talking about systems, which piqued my interest because I love thinking about how I can create systems in my life that will help make tasks easier or automatic and in some cases even decrease the need for motivation. So tell me a little more about kind of how you got to the place where that was something that you were thinking about and talking about and what makes that concept important to you. Well, you know, I don't know if you heard um, uh, Venus Williams interviewed the other day. I don't know who she was being interviewed by, but she said something like discipline is something that she, she said, discipline is freedom, she said. And I really loved that concept because I think motivation is so vital to us uh, achieving the goals that we have in lives, whether it's through business or in our careers or in family or, or lives generally. And, and it's so vital to know what the thing is that motivates us. And just because, you know, Brady, you and I both might decide we want to run a marathon, right? Your motivation may be because, you know, you have this uh, big goal that you want to make it, you know, you know, you said maybe by your 30th birthday, you want to be able to run this marathon. And maybe my motivation is I want to raise monies for cancer. Whatever the motivation is between that, we're both hitting the same goal, but the motivation is very personal. So my why is what's going to get me moving. However, when we are both training over whatever period of time we're going to train for that marathon, we need to be able to have some systems in place that make sure that when we don't feel like getting up at 5 a.m. that morning to do our, our short run or our long run, that we have a, a system that keeps us going. So oftentimes people get a little worried about like systems or like, well, you know, what are you talking about? Like large technological things in my life or in my business? Yes, it could be because there's so many softwares right now that, you know, out there, software platforms that make life easier. Or it can be the system of I, before I go to bed every night, my shoes are here by the door. My workout clothes are, you know, are, are, are by the bed and, you know, my toothbrush already has a toothpaste on it sitting by my bed, right? So it, it could be that system, right? I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth, I put on the clothes, I have the banana by the door and then I put my shoes on and I head out the door so I can do my long run because in the end I want to, I want to do that. I want to complete that marathon. That's a system, Okay. Or it could be a situation where you have, you know, even like you, um, you may have a situation where uh, it's a more complex, a more complex goal. And therefore you have some, some processes in place where you're like, this is how we get there. Step one, step two, step three, step four. Some of that might include building a team. Some of that might be having some soft uh, platforms and software platforms that you're using. Some of it might be some sort of things. And then also they could be part of it could be outsourcing. But I think the point here is to recognize that we all have systems and processes in our lives. We may not recognize them. So, you know, the first step is just to sort of step back and say, what do I do when I'm deciding to do the thing and articulating what they are and seeing which ones of those we can collapse in time, what, what part of those can we automate and what part of those we can kind of just realize this is what we do. So we create a habit and then once it's a habit and we have discipline with it, it's just a done deal. Yeah, I love that so much. So as I hear you talk about systems, my reaction is a system takes over when I don't feel like doing something and it eliminates the need for me to make the decision each time. Yes. 
But it's also yeah. interesting. So you say that we all have systems in our lives, whether we realize it or not. So what would be an example of a system that might exist in my life that I'm not aware of that may not be helping me move forward? Oh, that's like, that's a really good one. That's not helping you move forward. I think um, if, if you are, let me put that, put that thought to my head. I love that question, Brady. I would think if you have a system that where you come home in the evening and, and you, you know, take off your clothes, put on your home clothes and you immediately turn on, you know, Netflix and then you pop the cork of, you know, beer that's in the fridge, but you know that you're trying to write a book. Okay. That system of, you know, I, I agree. There needs to be some decompressed time after work. However, that particular system and process isn't working if you know you want to spend, say, three hours in the evening um, writing your book. So I think there are some systems that don't work for you as it relates. There's no bad system per se, right? So if you know that in the evenings, what I'm planning on doing is connecting with my, you know, my friends and my family and how we do it is by watching Netflix and, you know, popping a Corona, fine. However, if if that is in competition with something else that you want to do and that other thing has a higher priority in your life, then that is not a good not a good system at all. So how do you how do you fix that? Well, first things first is just sort of identifying, you know, coming back to your why and your motivation. Why do you want to write this book? Why is it important to you? And you have to come up with a lot of different whys because one why might feel good today, but tomorrow it's not enough to pull you, right? So if you come up with all of your whys as to why you're doing this, why, if you came up with as many as 20 to 50 whys, that is strong motivation. So it's pulling you forward. Therefore, it gives you the motivation to then create better systems in place. So one of those things could be, you know what? I do want to decompress after I, after I leave the office. I'll give myself 30 minutes to decompress. What is that going to look like? Well, instead of maybe going home and turning on the, the, the you know, Netflix, maybe it's 30 minutes without why I'm able to meet one of my good friends. We go for a walk around the park that gets me energized. I get a chance to connect with them. I'm decompressing. And then, bam, I drive straight to where it is that I do my writing, whether it's a coffee shop around the corner or it's the library or it's your office in your home. Yeah, this is this is so good. And it resonates with something that I talk about often, which is this idea that so we all have the same amount of motivation. But when we feel more led to do one thing than we feel to do something else, it's because there are competing motivations in play. And often what happens is we're motivated to do something with a more instantaneous reward or benefit that is yes. more attractive to us than doing the thing that may not be as fun in the moment, but is going to have a greater long-term return. I'll give you an example from my own life because it's very recent. So I spent this past weekend traveling with my son. We had an awesome time, went down, so I'm in Oklahoma City. We went to the DFW area, went to a couple Texas Rangers games, oh, went to a nice. TCU football game. It was so fun. But I'll tell you, one of my goals going into the weekend was to keep up with my, my fitness pal and log all my calories and not go too far over my daily goal. 
And I totally whiffed on that goal. Like I had one day where I was slightly under my calorie goal, mm-hmm. but I had two days where I was like seven, 800 calories over. And it was not what I intended for at all. And as I was sitting down, I try to do some journaling, some reflecting every morning. And so as I was reflecting this morning, I realized that where I went wrong is that I did not make the goal attractive enough in the sense that I didn't connect it with sort of the long-term picture of where I wanted to be or the long-term outcome that I desired. I made this goal to stay under my calorie goal, I guess, just because it was what I did on a regular basis or because I thought that it was a nice aspirational kind of goal. But Mm -hmm. I think as I hear you talk, what I'm remembering is that if we want to succeed in our long-term goals, we have to not only connect them back to that greater why, but also figure out how to make them attractive, both in the long-term and then if possible in the short-term. Yes. So good, Brady. You know, we, 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 we're, we are, we run towards pleasure. (laughs) We're human beings. We run towards pleasure. So if it can be as pleasurable as like, as attractive as it possibly can, can be, we'll run towards that. The other thing that we do, there's two other things that I think also could help you with that. Say you were, you know, having a great time with your son and doing all, I mean, which sounds like a fantastic time, right? Um, you're actually competing with the with the pleasure of, you know, all the fun and the sort of carefreeness of being with your son. So it wasn't just you saying, oh, this wasn't attractive on this side, but you were also being pulled on the other side where you wanted that carefreeness with your son and going to the game, that kind of thing. And, and so I think it's really, really important first things to sort of identify anchor things that are that that becomes our identity um so there's the discipline of it there is the creating systems but there's also the you know the identity of what you are doing we will violate oftentimes our values to become congruent with our identity of how we see ourselves that is so identity is a strong thing therefore um if you can um if you're if if you say you're writing a book, for instance, and this is a, a new time, uh, the first time you're writing this book, and it's taking three hours of your evening every evening, the, the times that you would spend spending time with friends, you already have an identity around being someone who spends time with friends, or you already have an identity around being someone who spends time with family, you know, either playing games or whatever the thing is that's competing for your time. If you can begin to balance that out and be like. I am a New York Times best-selling author, okay? You start beginning to believe that I'm an author and what do authors do? They write. So you begin to anchor that identity. I'm an author. And then you can add some flowery language. I am an amazing author. I'm a world-time sought-after author. I'm an author that is prolific in writing all these, So, you know, you begin to like anchor those emotions. Once you begin, at first you'll be saying it and you'd believe, oh, this is such a fraud. So not true. I am not an author. I haven't even written a book yet. But if you begin to say that over and over again, your subconscious begins to believe it. So then the question is, what does an author do? Well, no matter if they're running around Texas, going to all these great games and having a good time, eating hot dogs or whatever it is that you were eating that would that was off your 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 diet um but you would be thinking to yourself but wait 
I'm a I'm a I'm a healthy person that loves themselves and protects and 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 feeds into their body healthy food, right? Whatever the identity is. So you'd be competing identities and the identity that you feed is the one that wins. And so you can't even like, it's not even an issue of, of whether or not you want to have that hot dog or whatever it is that you, that you felt like you, you know, went over your, it would be like, but that's just not who I am. So you know, when I was right. in law school and, and I was writing briefs, cause we would, you know, have internships and I was writing briefs and, you know, just sometimes I feel like I just want to like go to bed. Cause you know, you have long hours, it's three o'clock in the morning and I just want to go to sleep, but I have briefs that I have to write. Even though when I first, my first uh, year, my first year as an attorney, that was really a hard thing for me. It's just like, you know, burning the midnight hour to write research briefs. Cause that's what you do when you're a junior attorney. All you're doing is the research and the writing. You don't have all the fun, you know, I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm in the courtroom, wonderful stages of life. <laughs> but I started telling myself, well, I'm an attorney and this is what I do. This is, I'm an attorney and this is what I do. And the more I said that, the more I was like, yeah, so get to it. It's, it's an identity anchor. So that's the other part that helps us get past the moments when we feel like, oh my goodness. And then the last thing is, I think, is uh, outsourcing what we can outsource. So therefore, um, for like I think about food, for instance, where a lot of people have a challenge with, as you're telling this story, um, a few years back, I really just started having someone come in and particularly in my very, very, very busy times when we were building the memorial and things were crazy. I would just have someone, a chef come in and cook healthy foods for me and have them in the fridge. And when I came home, the food was there or else I would just be ordering out. <laughs> okay. So it's a way to like, get you to hit the goals in a way that allows for you to outsource certain parts of it. If there's mm. some things that you can't lean into, um, if you're writing a book and you know you have to do some research, but you don't like the research, you're better at the writing, hire a research assistant, have them research the thing so mm. that you can do the thing that you're good at. You're leaning into your strengths and leaning into the things that make. So you want to you want to delete as much friction as possible in what it is you're trying to go so you can get to the goal. Mm -hmm. And those things are in their own way systems. They are kind of like commitment devices. I think about you hiring the chef beforehand to come in and cook the food. You are deciding in advance what you're going to eat. And mm -hmm. at that point in time, it's easier to make a decision to eat healthy food than it is in the moment when you look in the refrigerator and you see like a bag of spinach, but then you also see... I don't know what the example would be for you, but we frozen pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that. So yeah. when you make those decisions in advance, it's often easier to make the better decision for you. Exactly. I also think about, so you mentioned earlier having these narratives that you tell yourself. We're big John Acuff fans on this mm -hmm. podcast. I don't know if you've read any of John Acuff's work, but he wrote a book called Soundtracks about two years ago. And he talked about this idea of reinforcing our thoughts in a way that serves us better. And he talks in the book about neuroplasticity, which I think is kind of what you're talking about there, this ability that we have to change our thinking from what it was before. But then he also writes that if you tell yourself something that is untrue, your brain will sense that cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. So if you are not in the best shape of your life, if you've put on weight, if you've suffered an injury and you tell yourself, I'm in the best shape of my life, 
your brain will essentially call BS and say, no, that's not right. But mm-hmm. if you can take the soundtrack to be both true and helpful, it can serve you in a powerful way. And so the example there was maybe you don't tell yourself that you're in the best shape of your life, but you tell yourself that you're the kind of person who gets fitter and fitter every day in every way. That's a direct quote, by the way. Um, I love kind of the yeah. catchiness of that there. So, well, as we come to the end of our time, I have a couple more questions. So we've talked about identity, we've talked about values, and we've talked about systems. So if you looked at those things at different levels, I guess I'm wondering if I was going to work on one of those things first, what what should be my priority? I really think the first thing is being certain about the motivation, the why. You can't do the thing without the why. And if you only have a couple of whys, I'd spend some time building up the whys. If you can get to 50 whys to 100 whys that are really anchored within, you know, that are connected to you emotionally, that can fuel a lot of various different things. I think once you have those whys, then kind of look and see what what is the, what is the current system around this and what is the current process around this and how can you begin to tweak it in a way that makes sense for you? And how can you automate it? What are the things that are automatable? What are the things that are outsourceable? What are the things that you can just continue to develop? If you did it for 21 days, it'll be a habit. And then you just begin to lean into those things. Um, Try to limit the amount of friction as best you can. Mm Mm-hmm. That was another question I wanted to ask you earlier. So we've used the word system quite a bit. We've talked about habits a couple of times as well. What's the overlap between systems and habits in your opinion? Well, I I think that the um we actually have I think our habits are our systems. We just don't think of them as such. It's like tying a shoelace you know, or or putting on a pair of, of, of trainers. You got the shoe, you put your foot in. You know, sometimes people put on their socks first on the left shoe and then they put the left shoe on. Then they tie the shoelace and then they put the right sock on and put the right shoe on and then the right shoelace. Some people do it a little differently. The point is, these are all habits that we don't pay attention to. So my goal here is to encourage you to just sort of take a step back and say, how do I do this? How do I normally do this habitually? And what are the things that are not habits or are habits, as you said, that are no longer serving you to get you to the goal Mm -hmm. and then reverse engineer that particular system or habit Mm -hmm. so that it can serve you or that you can look and see, oh, well, this, this is what I do. This is what I do need to fill this gap. This gap here could be a habit that I could develop. Like for me, I could have developed a habit where I come home and I I cook and the thing, the thing, the thing. But there were some things that were preventing me from doing that. One, um, I was a bit tired when I was getting home. I was very exhausted. Um, it would require me having to go through and find the recipes that I really liked and then make sure I'm purchasing them on the weekend, the items and all that kind of thing. And I realized that all the work and input that I needed to be able to be able to to feed myself wholesome, nourishing food during those busy times of my life, I did not actually have the capacity to do that. Therefore, I'm going to basically, the whole chunk of all the things that were created in this, I'm going to export them to someone else 
delegate them to someone else, throw money at the problem so that they can then make sure it fits into my life. And so I think habits are kind of, you know, just systems that we do because we don't recognize them. If we can begin to pay attention to the things that we do on a normal basis and 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 reverse engineer them, that is really gold. Mm-hmm. It's, just a, it's awareness, I think, that that gets us to that. And then we'd be able to aware to be aware of the things that we're not good at, the things that we don't have the time to put in, the things that we can put in, but it's taking some time to put in those systems, then we know what we need to pay attention to. Yes, absolutely. And maybe I'll wrap this up this way. Maybe it's semantics, but as a writer, I love language and I think language is powerful. To me, when I think about the word systems, that communicates a different level of control than habits. Like habits, they can be good or bad. You can realize they're going on or you can have no idea that they exist. To me, if I think about a system, there's a greater degree of intentionality there. There's a result that I'm looking for. There's an outcome that I'm trying to achieve. And so Mm -hmm. maybe that's the challenge for someone listening to this episode is to identify those habits and then decide, is that a system that works for me or do I need to follow the advice that you're sharing and think about how I can reverse engineer that so that it does serve me in a different or better way? I love that. I love that way of looking at it because then when you have the intentionality around it, it's you creating the environment that allows for you to succeed and hit the goal that you're trying to hit. That's so good. What a great way to wrap up. Carrie-Ann, this was a tremendous conversation. Thank you again for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. If someone wants to continue the conversation with you or if they want to learn more about who you are and what you do, where can people find you? Well, I spend quite a bit of time hanging out on LinkedIn. So if you are there, find me, send me a message and say hello. Um, Tell me you're a part of Brady's crew and we'll connect. Um, I also am on um, Instagram. So if you're there, you can find me there. They're all Carrie Ann T. Powell. And, um, and, you know, if you ever want to, to, if you're running a business and you, you know, would like to find out some more ways on how to create systems in your business, feel free to find it, find me on my website at trafalgarstrategies.co. I love it. I was searching for you on LinkedIn while you were talking and I haven't found you yet, but I'm going to dig a little deeper once we finish and I'll send you a connection request and then we'll be able to put that out for everybody else listening. So thank you again for your time. Really enjoyed getting to learn more about you and talk systems. Thank you, Brady. What a pleasure. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Recently, I was feeling overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities I was juggling in my work and personal life. I signed up for BetterHelp and scheduled my first online therapy session. To be honest, I was a little nervous about meeting with a therapist online, but I was matched with a great therapist who offered me a fantastic experience. She helped me tremendously in our first session, and I noticed an instant difference in my mental health. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can also message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever it's 
it's convenient for you. If you're matched with a therapist who isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, you also get more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price, especially when you get 10% off your first month by signing up at betterhelp.com mfrp. That's betterhelp.com slash mfrp. Check it out and sign up today.